Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we've been in a series for the last four weeks entitled By Faith, the sequel, and in light of my interruption phone call and uh, a lot of other stuff, I don't have time to fill you in on how we got to that new sequel, uh, but feel free to go back to our YouTube channel, our podcast. You can check out the previous sermons and get a little bit of a foundational framework for it. Uh, I will say this as we step in. Uh, we've been looking at these two words all year as a bit of a theme. It's what we believe God shared with us, his heart at the beginning of the year, that 2022 would be a year that we live by faith and we see some miracles. And uh, we concluded that series back in the spring, but as we stepped into our four-year anniversary a couple of weeks ago, uh, we just could not shake the thought that there was more God wanted to do, more miracles, more breakthrough, more freedom, as I've said every single week, there's still a lot of names inside this box that people have written down and prayed over that don't know Jesus yet. And there's a lot of, of stuff that we still believe by faith can take place before the conclusion of this year. And so uh, our team decided to conclude 2022 the same way we started it and to go back into these two words and, and get all the meat off the bone, if you will. Uh, let, let me speak someone's language. Maybe you've got a kid who eats chicken wings with you sometimes and uh, they hand the plate over to you and they're like, hey, I'm done. And you're like, no, you're not. There is still plenty of chicken left on that, that wing. You better eat that. That's how we're doing this series. There's a little meat left on the bone. Come on, somebody. We didn't want to let the buffalo goodness go without getting all that God had for us. Uh, and so we dove back into uh, this, this series once again. And uh, every week we've been looking at the lyrics from a song we wrote. We just sang it a moment ago called By Faith, uh, a song we released at our four-year anniversary. And obviously the lyrics of that song were inspired by scriptures. So we're considering the scriptures that uh, inspired those lyrics as kind of the catalyst for each one of these sermons. Uh, today, I want to look at a lyric we sang in the bridge just a moment ago uh, where our sultry friend Justin sang it like this. I won't sing it. I'll try not to, yeah. <laughs> waves bow down. Yeah, okay, waves bow down. Mountains move. Demons shake. And then here's the line I want to look at today. When we mention you. When we mention you. Uh, that lyric comes from one of my favorite portions of scripture, one that I have declared and clung to many times in my journey of faith, one that I'm clinging to right now, I was clinging to in the first service. Uh, it's found in the book of Philippians. You've probably heard me share it during worship at some point in our four-year history, but uh, this is the words of the Apostle Paul. It's a poem that he tosses into the middle of this letter to the Philippians, and it reads like this. It says, therefore, God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come on, that's a good scripture right there. At the name of Jesus, I think the New International Reader's version, the nerve as my kids call it, it says those who call upon the name of Jesus. One translation says when we speak out the name of Jesus. We sang when we mentioned the name of Jesus. Uh, if, if you're old enough to remember the song, there was an old hymn that sang, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Shout out to the Gaithers, yes. No matter what way you slice it, say it, or sing it, there is power in the name 
of Jesus. And today I want us to consider the implications of this mention. Paul says in this poem that there are three very specific environments affected by the name of Jesus. Those in the heavens, those on the earth, and those under the earth. We're going to look at all three of those realms and consider how we are personally affected by them and how as a community, as individuals, we need to be getting good at mentioning the name of Jesus. So today I want to title this chat a little differently than I have in the previous ones. I'm breaking my rhythm. I'm sorry. Uh, There is no here comes the anything today. Uh, We're posing a question, and I want to call this chat, Did I Mention? Did I Mention? In fact, if it's a question, did I mention? In fact, why don't you turn to someone next to you and just ask them real quick. "Did Did I mention? Did I mention? I know, it's your least favorite part of every service. Everyone hates talking to the person next to them. I understand. Did I mention? All right, let's, let's get into this. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. This is going to be a fun day today. Let's go. Let's thank Jesus for what he's already done, and let's pray for what he wants to do in the next couple moments, shall we? Holy Spirit, we thank you for my baby girl's health. I thank you that she gets to leave the hospital today. I thank you that you are uh, one who finishes a work that you start in us. And uh, I don't know what led to the blood work this morning, and I don't know how all of a sudden it's better. I don't need to know the answers. I just thank you that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, think, or imagine. And if for no other reason but to build the faith at the 11 o'clock service, I thank you that you did a miracle that we get to announce uh, to tee us up for what you'd like to do in the next few moments. So we declare we trust you. Our faith, our hope is in this name that we've been singing out all morning, and I ask that we would be those that learn how to mention you frequently by the time we leave this place in Jesus' name. And the Father's house said, amen, amen, amen. So I think it's important before we get into these three environments that we discuss what Paul means by mention, what we mean when we sing out the mention of Jesus' name. Because there are a lot of people who, who use the name of Jesus, who speak the name of Jesus, but are not experiencing the realities painted in Philippians chapter two. So we need to determine what does Paul mean by mention and what does Paul not mean by mention. Uh, I've shared before uh, that one of my wife and I's favorite shows on television to stream is a a show called Alone. Uh, If you are unfamiliar with that show, it's a reality survival show where 10 contestants who know how to survive out in the wilderness are dropped off in the middle of nowhere in some of the most extreme conditions on earth, and they're given a backpack with like 10 items, and they're expected to survive as long as they possibly can out there in the wilderness. It's basically like to... a starving show, like to see who can go the longest without eating any food or having any real shelter. And the person who lasts the longest before they tap out gets half a million dollars. I have no idea why I like this show so much. Uh, I've shared, again, many times from the stage that I have a a great hatred for the outdoors and camping, and I like camping for me is anything below the third floor at a hotel on the beach. That's kind of where I'm living most days, but... I like, I would never survive on a show like this. I'm like, wait, no shelter, no shower, no Wi-Fi, no DoorDash, I'm good. Like, I'm gonna just stay home, it'll be fine. But for some reason, I really enjoy sitting on my couch under the comfort of a blanket eating chips while I watch people starve to death in the wilderness. Like, I don't, I don't know what that says about me, but it's probably not good. But, but I love the show. Uh, and so we just finished uh, streaming the, the most recent season, and uh, it was the craziest season, hands down, to date. Not only did they drop off all the contestants, like in British Columbia, around this lake, 
uh, where like the conditions were insane, but apparently it was the largest bear population they could find, and they wanted to drop all these people in the middle of like this indigenous bear community, which sounds illegal to me, but I'm just, you know, whatever, we'll work it out. So every episode, you see these contestants having to deal with the population of bears around them. Bears are coming into their camp or bears are threatening their food supplies. Like, it's crazy. They're interacting with all these bears. And, and because the producers knew that they were going to have to deal with some bears, everyone received one of these before they went out into the wilderness, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, this is where I would tap out. First of all, I'd never try out for the show. Secondly, if I did, so let me get this straight. There's an 800-pound bear that's going to come charging at me, and it wants to kill me, and you're going to give me one of these to save my life. Like, it just, it's, just, it's a horn. That's all it does. And it's supposed to scare the bear away. I'm like, I'm good. I'll go try out for The Price is Right or another, like, less intense show. This looks like a piñata toy that you could find at your nephew's birthday party. But every single episode, there are people pulling out this horn and trying to get the bears to go away. Now, because I'm a pastor, everything is spiritual to me. And while I was sitting there watching these people try to survive and blowing their horns at bears, I had a thought. So I typed it into my phone to use for a later sermon. This is that sermon. I wrote down, sometimes people just use the name of Jesus like a bear horn. The name of Jesus is something they find, cling to, go to in the midst of a dire circumstance. When things are going poorly, they reach for the name in hopes that by calling it out, they can get the big bad bear, the devil, to go away. And it's sickness, it's opposition, the marriage is falling apart, the finances are not great, and then all of a sudden it's Jesus! Oh my God. That was not wise. But that's how a lot of people treat the name of Jesus. And, and just to be clear, you should call on the name of Jesus when things are not good. Like if you're walking through a difficult season right now, if you've got a diagnosis, if your kid's in the hospital, if your marriage is on the rocks, if things are falling apart, there is no better name to call upon than the name of Jesus. Psalm 121 says, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. As we were singing out of Proverbs just a moment ago, his name is a strong tower and the righteous run to him and they are safe. You should call upon the name of Jesus. However, if that is the only time that you call upon the name of Jesus, then be warned that you might not experience the promises that are made here in, in, in Philippians chapter two. You might not be experiencing this power of bowed knees and confessing mouths. Because when Paul speaks about mentioning the name, he is not talking about a casual name drop or a flippant use in the midst of dire circumstances. In fact, if he was suggesting that, it would contradict the very scriptures that he participated in writing. Uh, there's this weird story in the book of Acts chapter 19 about these seven brothers that scripture calls the seven sons of Sceva, which just sounds like a New York game to me, you know? Seven sons of Sceva, hey, what are you gonna do about it? Forget about it, yeah, stoop, ma, ka, water, whatever. So, these guys, they're watching all the apostles and they see the apostles casting out demons and they're like, that's a neat trick. I wanna try that one out myself. So they develop this incantation and it goes like this. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out. And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's go with that one. 
So they saunter off to Ephesus and they find this demonized guy. They go into his house and they try out their little trick. They're like, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And the demonized dude looks back at him and compelled by the demon inside of him, he says, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. Who the heck are you? And the Bible says that this one guy beats up the seven brothers, strips them naked, and sends them out into the street bleeding. <laughs> That's a rough day, all right? That's a rough Sunday morning at church. Moral of the story, be careful how you use the name of Jesus. You could end up ble bleeding and naked in the streets. It, it would not end, no, that's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is that it isn't simply the name of Jesus by itself that produces power. And I know that sounds like heresy, but, but follow me for a moment. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth was not the only Jesus in biblical times. Jesus was actually a really popular name, like John back then in biblical times. In fact, Jesus is a really popular name today in parts of Mexico and in parts of Spain. It is one of the most common names. You can look it up online for yourself. And if it was just the name of Jesus, then some mom in Barcelona calling for her three-year-old son, Jesus, ben acá. everyone would have to. So, so obviously not just the name, right? It's not the name itself. Rather, it is faith in who and what that name represents that releases the power we see here in Philippians chapter two. It is an understanding that he was no normal man that walked on the earth a couple thousand years ago. He was the God man sent from heaven to die on a cross and resurrect to new life. And my faith is not based in his name, it's based on what he has done in his name. Let me say it like this. According to Philippians 2, if we want to keep it contextual, if we are going to have a Philippians 2 expectation, we need to have a Philippians 2 experience. You must be the first to bow your knee. You must be the first to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And when he is Lord of your life, and when you are bowed down in submission to him, then you have access to a name that causes every knee to bow and every tongue to confess to the glory of God the Father that he is Lord. That's what Paul means... To mention, it's not a bear horn. No, it's, it's a relational faith. That's what it means to mention. So now, having established what it means, let's consider these three very significant environments. Uh, the first of them is this. It says that those in the heavens bow down at the mention of his name in the heavens. Now, immediately when I hear heavens, my mind goes to spiritual beings and angels, uh, the throne room of the Most High. I think about those bowing down and confessing him as Lord. And that, that's not inaccurate, by the way. The scripture tells us in Revelation chapter four and chapter five that as we sit in this room this morning, there's a worship service taking place in heaven. There are thousands and thousands of angels that circle the throne of Jesus and they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto the one who sits on the throne. And as they sing and as they declare, it says that the elders and the creatures, they get down on their knees and they bow and they confess him as Lord as they cast their crowns. So yes, that is accurate application of this text. There are knees bowing and tongues confessing in heaven today. However, that is not what Paul is speaking about here in this text. 
The, the word that he uses here for the heavens is synonymous with a phrase we see in scripture known as the heavenly realms. We might call it the spirit realm or the unknown world. Directly speaking to the fact that what we see here in the natural is not it. There's something taking place behind the curtain of reality where there are demons and there are angels that are battling for the state of souls and humanity, including yours. I know I mention this a lot, I'm a bit of a broken record, but it's easy to forget as we walk around in the natural, so allow me to remind us once again, this is not it, friends. What you are seeing in the natural realm, what you are experiencing in the natural realm, it is not simply the byproduct of stuff around you on the earth. There is a spiritual game at play here. There is a war taking place for your soul right now in the heavenly realms. There are demons and angels battling for your future. The enemy hates you. He hates that you're in church right now. He hates your family. He hates God's plan for your future. And he's gonna do whatever he can to steal, kill, and destroy, to thwart the plan of God in your life. That's reality today. And because he hates you so much, he will deploy every weapon at his disposal to try and take you out. And rest assured, every one of those weapons, every one of those demonic influences, they have a name. A name like sickness, a name like anxiety, like fear, like addiction, a name like division and brokenness. Names that you are very familiar with and I am very familiar with because we battle against them on a regular basis. But the promise of Philippians chapter two is that you have been given access to a name that is above every single one of those weapons. That's above every single one of those names. That causes every name in the heavenly realms to bow down and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. At the mention of Jesus' name, cancer must bow. Blood disorders must bow. Mental illness must bow. Fear must bow. Anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts and poverty and whatever you're walking through must bow at the mention of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They stand no authority. Every formed weapon against you shall not prosper at the mention of Jesus' name. Come on, that deserves at least a three-second shout of praise this morning that you got a God that's victorious over everything that you're walking through. His name is higher than it all. His name causes demons in the middle of their little playground of fear to go, oh, I, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is... This is why corporate gatherings like this, specifically corporate worship, is so important. This lie that is out there that the church has changed and things are different now because of COVID and we need to get really good at doing church online because that's where we're headed. I'm sorry, we will never be that church. I am not interested in live streaming our services because at the end of the day, Jesus did not create the church to gather in a home by yourself while you stare at a screen. This is why gathering together is so significant. It's why we spend the first Tuesday of every single month for an hour doing nothing but lifting up the name of Jesus from seven to 8 p.m. It's why we don't just sing songs and go through motions here at the Father's house, but we seek out the heart of God and we wait in his presence for what he wants to say. 
Why? Because when hundreds of believers get together and they begin to sing out the name of Jesus, there is something taking place in the spirit realm in that moment. Demons are bowing, they are confessing that Jesus is Lord, and every grip they had on that environment the moment earlier is loosed by the mention of Jesus' name. And if that sounds like hyperbole or preacher talk or hype, look no further than the building you're sitting in to prove it is true. I know I talk a lot about how important it is that we worship in this space, but the stories just keep on coming. So I'm gonna throw another one at you right now. Last week, we walked in here at 7 a.m. with our Vibe team. Uh, we call them Vibe because no one wants to be a part of a setup team. Uh, vibe team to set up church and make this place beautiful. Shout out to all the people that come at 7 a.m. to make this place into a church. Some of them production come even earlier. But we show up at seven o'clock and uh, Rocky, our maintenance guy, he comes over to me and he's like, hey, I gotta show you a picture. Uh, there was an event in here last night that I think you would find interesting. And I'm like, okay. So he, he shows me this picture and it'll come up here on the screen. It's a little blurry because it was on a phone and that's a much bigger screen. But uh, basically there was a Hindu worship service in here uh, on Saturday night, just a few hours before we showed up on Sunday. Specifically, they were praying for the opening of their third eye, the, the third eye on your forehead, and this state of peace that is available in, in Hinduism. And he showed this to me. He's like, I just thought, I thought you'd want to know that. And I'm like, cool, man. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> and then put the phone away and you can take the photo off the screen. And now that, that, might, that might freak some people out. In fact, it does freak some people out. It might've just freaked some of y'all out right now. You're like, oh man, I was starting to like this place. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that will never step foot into our building or into this church because of the fact that we meet in the building we meet in and as a result of the other things that take place in this space. And that's cool. They can do whatever they want to do. I actually think it's kind of awesome. And the reason I think it's awesome, well, two reasons. Number one, I am convinced that if Jesus were walking planet Earth today, these are the kinds of spaces that he would be in. He would not shy away from dark corners and find painted religious buildings with a bunch of dead people. He would go to the darkest of the dark places because he understands my light works best where there is darkness. That's what he would do. I'm convinced of that. But secondly, I think it's incredible that we have an opportunity every single week to put Philippians chapter two to practice. Every single week, we get to walk into a space and say, I know there might've been some, some sinful Satan strongholds in here on Saturday, but we got the saints coming in on Sunday and we're gonna lift up the name of Jesus and watch how that environment, which was affected by darkness just a couple hours prior, is now bowing down to the name of Jesus because a few hundred people gathered in that space and began to declare, he is Lord. I don't care what environment you find yourself in. I don't care how deep, how dark. When you lift up the name of Jesus, sickness is healed. Addictions are broken. Lives are restored. Marriages are mended. You cannot stop the authority of Jesus' name when you begin to lift up his name. It's impossible. Every knee bows in the heavenly realms. Let's do it again, shall we? We did this last service. We're gonna worship for a couple minutes and just prove this to be true. I, I interrupt this regularly scheduled sermon for a praise break for a couple of minutes, all right? Why don't you stand to your feet? Here's the deal. I might've just gotten a testimony of victory a couple of moments ago for my kid. Some of y'all are still waiting for that in the room right now. The heavenly realms are fighting against you as we sit in this space. I know that you came on a Sunday and you're, you're at church and you lifted the hands and you're clapping the hands and doing the stuff. But behind the surface, you are dealing with the reality of things taking place in heavenly realms. I can look around the room right now and I won't point people out, but those who have just 
lost loved ones, those that are battling cancer, and they're still waiting for breakthrough. And let's, let's do some warfare in the heavenly realms for a couple of moments. Let's, let's get our eyes off of the temporary, the here and now, and let's, let's begin to lift up the name of Jesus. And I believe that he can do a miracle right now in this moment. Before anyone prays for you, before anyone lays hands on you, just a moment in his presence can shift realities for you. Come on, lift your hands towards heaven. Jesus, we invite you right now into this space. We exalt your name. Whatever the name of the thing you're facing is, just even in your own words, begin to exalt the name of Jesus over that. We exalt Jesus over cancer. We exalt Jesus over infertility. We exalt Jesus over diagnosis. We exalt Jesus over addiction. We exalt Jesus over the spirit of suicide. We exalt Jesus over generational curses, over anger and strongholds that can't be broke. We exalt Jesus right now and trust that in the heavenly realms, demons are bowing in this moment. They're confessing to the Lordship of Jesus. And we worship together with one voice in united pursuit, lifting up that name to see a deafening praise released in the spirit realm. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's sing this. Shout Jesus from the mountain, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name of Jesus. this morning. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. One more time. Sing that bridge in faith over your situation. Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every age. 
Jesus over every situation, over every life, over every spiritual stronghold, we declare His name is greater. His name is greater. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, amen. That feels good, I like it. Take a seat. Point number two. <laughs> we'll get through these expediently, fear not. Number two. Not only are the heavens affected, but the earth, it says, is affected. Every, everyone on earth will bow a knee and confess Jesus as Lord. I must admit that this is the portion of the scripture that I learned the most about this week because as I dove deep into studying, I discovered it did not mean what I thought it meant originally. In fact, it meant something far more powerful. Uh, it's important to remember when you read the Bible that it was not originally written in English. I, I know that's hard to believe for Americans, but I'm sorry, it was not written in English. Uh, it, the people spoke Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew and, and much of the Bible was written in language that most of us don't understand. I know one person does because my friend Peter speaks all those languages, but that's okay. But uh, oftentimes when you read the Bible, the, the word in English doesn't carry quite the same potency as it does in the original text. And, and such is the case with this word, the earth. Uh, in Greek, it's the word epigaios, and it means terrestrial or inhabitants of the earth. Uh, not the earth at large, macro, specifically speaking of those who live on the earth. We might use the, the word earthlings, kind of, kind of trekky, right? Yeah, but, but earthlings. Now that definition may not be incredibly powerful to us, but I promise you the weight of that word meant a lot to the Philippian audience that Paul was writing to in these days. Remember, these were not books originally, they were letters. Letters that were used to address issues that were taking place in a community. And for the Philippians in their current state, this, this thought of the earthlings bowing down and honoring Jesus as Lord would have brought incredible comfort and incredible empowerment. Uh, allow me to explain. So. Philippi, Philippians, Philippi, the place, uh, it, it was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. And it was known as this hotbed for political nationalism because many of the inhabitants of Philippi were retired soldiers from the Roman military. Uh, they, were, they were your patriots among patriots. They had fought the good fight with the Roman Empire. And nationalism was not just something prevalent in Philippi. It was actually all throughout the Roman culture. It was expected. It was not just a group of extreme people on one side of the political scale. Everybody was expected to be a political nationalist. And here's why. In Rome, it wasn't just that the emperor was considered the highest authority of the land. Actually, their community believed that the emperor was a divine being, a god in human flesh. In fact, they made the people call him Lord. If the emperor walked through your town, it was expected that you would bow down and you would worship the emperor as Lord. Or if you saw one of his statues, that you would bow down and you'd worship him as Lord. And this created a bit of a problem for the Jewish people and for the Christians because they were monotheistic people. They believed in a singular God. Trace it all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy in the Shema where uh, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 
And if you're a Christian or a Jewish person, you can't honor the one true God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength if you are expected to bow down to a Roman emperor and declare him as Lord. So the Christians were defiant in this matter, and as a result, there was intense persecution against the church, specifically in Philippi because of its population. Uh, one historian writes this. He says, all residents of the empire were required to swear an oath of allegiance to the emperor, declaring that Caesar is Lord and burning a pinch of incense to an image of the emperor. Though the Roman state saw this only as a display of political allegiance, Christians rightly interpreted it as idolatry and they refused to participate, often paying with their lives. So you have this incredible political tension that leads to this intense church persecution and one after the other, the Roman emperors just begin to pick off the Christians from Augustus to Claudius to Nero. Uh, they, they arrest them, they persecute, Many times they execute. There's a lot of historical evidence of Christians being walked into Colosseums and fed to lions to the amusement of the Roman occupation. In fact, Emperor Nero is said to have taken Christians, impaled them on poles, dipped them in wax, and lit them on fire in his garden, just as a, a display of his power for those that would not bow down to him and acknowledge him as Lord. This is, this is a crazy environment. And so you can imagine the Christians are afraid. There's a significant lingering fear in Philippi. If you believe in Jesus, if you're walking with the church, at any moment of any day, you could be arrested. Your family members could be executed in front of you. You could be fed to lions. You could be lit on fire. Like there's, there's some timidity and fear. But then here comes Paul. The same guy who writes to Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And he begins to tap into this poem and say, hey guys, I know it might look like the Roman occupation has all the power. They're making you call them Lord. But I want to remind you today that there is still a name that is higher than Rome's. His name is Jesus. And even if they are not submitted to him, they are still subject to his lordship. And regardless of what they're doing, it does not affect the work of God in your midst. Let me say it like this, because I know it's, it's easy to go like, well, that's cool for, for Rome. Um, and the Christians, like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like, Rome's not in charge anymore. Thanks for the history lesson, Pastor Tim. But what does this mean to me? Well, here's what it means. If, if Paul is telling the Philippians that the Roman occupation cannot force them to do anything or undermine the, the authority of God in their lives. And he's telling us at the same time that no earthly authority can keep you from the will of God. I know that sounds simple, but Christians right now have this fear that the earthly occupations can take them from the will of God. At large in our nation, there is a lingering fear Oh, what's going to happen? Listen, the fear of man has no place in a believer. The fear of what might happen at the hands of man has no place in the heart of a believer. Opposition, judgment, whatever, that does not exist in you. No one can take you out of the will of God. All earthlings are still subject to his name. Uh, David says it like this in, in uh, Psalm chapter 56. He said, or excuse me, 54. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Ah, 
I like that line. What can people do to me? My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. I praise God for what he's promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he's promised. I'm gonna trust in him. I'm not gonna be afraid. What can people post about me? What can people say about me? What can people do? I'm not afraid of anymore. I ain't afraid of no ghosts or people. <laughs> Sorry, Halloween joke. There you go. That's inappropriate. We don't believe in Halloween. We're Christians. Okay. Uh, there's just no place for fear. That political party you're afraid of taking office, they don't get to undermine God's call in your life. They don't get to own the hearts and minds of your children, and they cannot quench the flame of the church of Jesus Christ. No matter what you've heard, no matter what news organization is peddling that to you, it just can't happen, so don't be afraid. Let me speak some language to people here in, the, in, in light of our recession. Hey, your job is not in the hands of your employer, your manager, or your supervisor. Your promotion is not in the hands of your employer or your supervisor. Promotion does not come for the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. And if God wants to elevate you and protect you, no human hands can thwart his plan for your life. There is no human voice that can curse you louder than Jesus can bless you. Come on, look at Balaam in the Old Testament, try to curse Israel. No, if God has determined that you are blessed, then you don't need to worry about what opposition you might come up against. You're gonna be blessed. I love what it says in Proverbs chapter 21, that God holds the heart of a king in his hand and he moves it like a water course. There is no human authority outside of the name of Jesus. If he can move the heart of a king, he can move any human in your favor. So you don't need to be afraid. Just lift your eyes, lift your voice, keep calling out unto Jesus because your hope, your joy, your provision, everything you need is found in him. I don't need to be afraid of earthlings. They can't do anything to me. Jesus has got me. That's a good declaration. Every name in the heavens, on the earth, and then number three, below the earth. I'll invite the worship team to come as we conclude with this one. Below the earth. Now, when I hear that phrase, my mind immediately goes to demonic powers, the under the earth stuff, <laughs> like demons and the underworld. But again, we know that's not true because... We've already talked about those things. They were the heavenly realms. So what does Paul mean here when he says under the earth? Well, not to be morbid, but he actually is talking about those who are buried under the earth. This is a reference to death. In fact, more specifically, it's a reference to the resurrection of the dead. And if I could distill this last stanza of the poem into a single thought, it would be this. As Paul begins to speak of those under the earth, he is issuing both a personal invitation and a prophetic warning. A personal invitation to bow now before the Lordship of Jesus, or a prophetic warning that if you don't, you're still gonna bow later. One preacher said it like this, you will either bow in submission on earth or you will bow in judgment in eternity. Heavy words, but true words, and, and true words that all of us need to consider this morning. I titled this sermon, Did I Mention? And I didn't just title that because I wanted to 
make a clever, a clever play on words. Although I love making clever plays on words. It's my spiritual gift for sermon writing. But I, I titled it that because I'm not simply speaking a message to you as a community today. This scripture is also a reminder to me as a pastor of my predominant job description. Did I mention? Because I live with this conviction that one of the greatest roles I play is to constantly mention, to remind everybody about eternity. Did I mention that there's a day coming where Jesus is gonna return for his bride and he'll be on a white horse and his robe will be dipped in blood and he'll have eyes of fire and the dead will rise and they will stand before the white throne and they'll be judged. We'll all give an account for our lives. If I have preached sermons and built churches and done ministries and I haven't prepared you for that moment, I have failed as a leader. One of my greatest responsibilities is to mention that day is coming. So, so lest I miss the moment provided to us by this text, allow me to take my responsibility serious this morning and remind every single person, there is a day coming where you will stand before Jesus. You will look him in the face and you will give an account for the life that you led here on planet earth. He will look at you and say, what did you do with your time? What did you do with your talents? What did you do with your resources? Most importantly, what did you do with the name of Jesus? And sadly for many people, that will be the first time that they bow their knee and confess Jesus as Lord. And scripture tells us that for those who did not bow here on earth, there's a grave reality waiting in eternity a lake of fire where you will spend the rest of eternity with Satan and his demons. I'm sorry if that's too blunt, but I'm taking my job description seriously this morning. But Romans 10:9 shares a different reality for those that are willing to bow here on earth. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then that is not your lot for eternity. But instead, there is a confident hope for Jesus to look you in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. Eternal life is yours. That's the day that's coming. And Paul is, is reminding us of this resurrection of the dead. He's reminding us that we're all gonna stand in that space and give an account for our lives and asking the question, are you prepared? Are you ready for this moment? Listen, I live with an open hand with my daughter's life right now. I do not know what Jesus has for her future. I believe in my heart of hearts that she will be healed and live a nice long life. But no one knows the time or the hour. Our days are not promised. Someone could walk out of the building today and that could be it. There needs to be an assurance and a confidence in your heart that if you entered into eternity today, you would hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Are you prepared? Have you bowed now? Have you confessed him as Lord? 
And when I say that, I'm not asking if you've got a bear horn. I'm not asking if you attend a church or know some worship songs or have a cross necklace or a tattoo on your arm or a Christian mingle profile. That's not what I'm asking. I'm not even asking if you identify as Christian. I'm asking, is he Lord? Have you bowed down? Have you submitted your life completely? Is he in charge? Does he have the final word? Does he have every ounce of your heart? Is he the governor of all? Because if not, do not wait for this to become a warning for you. Heed the invitation today to bow your knee and confess him as Lord. I'm out of time, so let's pray. Bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you say, Tim, that is me. I do not have a confident hope in my heart that eternity will be spent with Christ. In a minute here, we're gonna pray a prayer of commitment. And I love this about the Bible. I love this about Jesus. It is not a 10 step program to get saved. It is not jump through these hoops and do the stuff. It's a simple gospel. Believe, confess, that's it. Right now in one moment, your eternity can be spoken for. But if you're here today and you know that things need to be right between you and Jesus, you need to pray this prayer of commitment along with me. I want you to shoot up your hand real quick and look at me and say, Tim, that's me, I need to pray with you today. Thanks, sweetheart, I got you. Right on, bro, yeah, right there. Got you there in the second row. Yes, over here. Yeah, right there. Yeah, right over here, cool. Come on, lots, of, oh yeah, got you in the back, right on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, got you there too, right on, yeah. All right, here's what we're gonna do. As a family, we're praying out loud with these that are making this decision so that they don't feel like they're making it alone. Just repeat after me, say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I believe you died for my sins and you resurrected for my freedom. Help me to follow you and be your disciple from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate every single one of those making that choice this morning. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.